Hi, this is Dion Baig from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, episode 72. Hello and welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you break through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake. Here with me again, as always, is the sharply dressed Sandy McKay. I think. Oh, hey, Rob. <laughs> hey, you're hey. with us. You are yeah. here with us. Yeah, I'm excited. Are, we got a good show here. Are you sharply dressed? Uh, I'm, I would say mediocre, relatively sharp today. Not my sharpest. Okay, well, next time. Sharper than you, actually, by the looks of it. Sharper than you. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, sporting the, uh, the, the uh, hoodie because it's freezing down here in my basement. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, AC seems to be very sufficient and efficient down here. Uh, it's beautiful outside, so I can't complain. Yeah, about it's it's been, a hot, been a hot summer. Yeah, it's been awesome. I took a beach day yesterday. It was fantastic. Cool. Um, what's new with you? Take any beach days? Uh, we did have a beach day, actually. We uh, went down to Fort Erie area. Oh, no, not Fort Erie, sorry. On Lake Erie, uh, Port Dover area, just the other weekends. Beach day. Yes, that was fun. Um, we've been doing a lot of a lot of work and stuff, too. So it's been, we try to do this Sundays, though. Try and take Sundays off. Yeah, yeah. And I can we can hear some of the work going on over there. It's not so bad right now, but a little earlier, there was some jackhammering going on or whatever. You might hear some more here and there. We'll try and uh, stay away from it, but we got some uh, yeah, renovations going on in the office, uh, building out the basement. So it's a little bit noisy, but it's uh, good. We need some more office space, so we're just building out uh, another floor of uh, of some uh, space we can put some people. Nice. Well, that's good. Mm -hmm. um, well, we got to tell everyone where to go, right? Where to pick up our free stuff. Yeah, you tell them where to go. Yeah, so we, everyone got to jump over to BreakthroughRAPodcast.ca, download all our episodes there, listen to everything in comments. You can also pick up our free reports, The Ultimate Strategy for Building Wealth Through Real Estate. And uh, all you got to do is throw your name and email in there, and you'll, you'll get that report. Uh, it talks a little bit about strategy, we, strategy we, strategies that we've used to build uh, our wealth through real estate and it's also going to get you in our mailing list and hear about some of the events we're up to and things like that so we can go on over there again breakthrough reipodcast.ca yeah and as well please go over to itunes and uh i know that's actually where most of the people listen to the show from 
Um, but you can leave a comment there as well. That would be greatly appreciated. We always love reading everyone's reviews. Um, the five-star ones are the ones we like the best. But, you know, we want everyone to be honest and let us know what they think of the show. So uh, please go over there and write us a review. That would be greatly appreciated. Um, what else do we have to talk about? I, I, again, see, again, I don't have the review thing. Up. I can't get iTunes up on my uh, on my uh, computer for some reason right now. Just I've switched computers and haven't gotten around to it, so I won't be able to read any of our reviews today. Um, but we'll get back to those soon. I like reading the reviews and hearing what people have to say. Sandy, I'm sure we got a lot of good good ones. <laughs> sure, we got a lot more five stars, right? I would hope. Yeah, I would imagine so. I'm going to be pleasantly surprised when we open it up next time, I think. <laughs> we'll see. Um, so let's get to our interview. Yeah, today we've got Omar Khan with us, and uh, and he's an, an expat living in Texas. And uh, really excited. This is going to be a cool one. He's going to talk to us about uh, multifamily investments in the U.S. and uh, and also just not falling for... I'm falling for the guru trap, which uh, we'll explain a little more about what that's about in the interview. Uh, welcome to the show, Omar. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, it's a great honor to be here. Yeah, welcome. Thanks again for being here. Uh, Omar, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'd love to talk to you about talk about myself. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a Canadian expat, as you guys mentioned, living in Texas. Uh, you know, I went to school in Toronto, University of Toronto, lived there, worked there for the longest time. Then I moved to Calgary, worked in the old patch for a little while in finance. I did a lot of M&A and essentially lots of late nights and lots of boring stuff, which hopefully set me up nicely. And when I moved to the U.S. Uh, a little while ago, I got into U.S. multifamily real estate because I could leverage a lot of my finance experience and a lot of my Canadian network. You know, in Canada, I'd done about $3.7 billion of capital financing and M&A transactions. And just building that network really helped me when I moved to the U.S., in a acquiring properties and then guiding a lot of Canadian investors on their real estate portfolios within the U.S. So now we syndicate large multi-million dollar deals across the U.S. and advise a lot of Canadians and other international investors, apart from U.S. investors, on how to just invest in real estate within the U.S., but specifically commercial and multifamily investments. So how long have you been in Texas now then? Three years. Three years. Are you missing the winters? Not the cold, only the summers. Yeah, what, why, what do you miss about the summers? Well, what I miss about the summers is that I'm not about to die in 100 degrees weather. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's getting close here this year. It's been super hot. But, um, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, but look, when it's super hot in Canada, we actually like it because it's only for six weeks in the year. That's yeah, right, yeah. That's true. Right? I, for one, have made a pact to uh, with myself to not complain about it ever. But, uh, um, okay, so you're enjoying your time there, though. Oh, yeah, we love it. Plus, we make frequent trips back to Toronto all the time, two or three times a year. So, you know, it's not too bad. We have lots of our friends who are now coming down. The more people are investing, the more they like to come down and visit us even more. So that kind of makes it a little bit of Canada and Texas. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah. Why, why do you feel so strongly that commercial multifamily is the way to go? 
Well, look, it's very simple for us. The patient, a lot of folks that I knew that essentially were in my network were either physicians, lawyers, doctors, finance people. So a lot of these folks were realtors. I know a lot of realtors, lots of people in real estate. The common quotient among most of all of these people was they're extremely busy because they have really high paying jobs and careers and they don't have time, but they have a lot of money to invest. And what happens when you go with smaller properties, you know, single family houses, all of that kind of stuff is, number one, it's just an operational nightmare to manage them. You know, if you've got 10, 20 houses, it just becomes a major pain, number one. And most people aren't going to leave their job and just do this immediately, right, in the first one or two or three years. Number two, the other issue is that even if you do get property management, A, property management on single family houses costs a lot of money, 8 to 10% of gross revenue. But on top of that, it's really hard. People have really bad experiences with residential property management, at least within my network. I'm not saying it's across the board. And the other last, the biggest thing for a lot of folks in my network and for myself also is that it's a very hard to scale strategy. So we're not talking about, say, look, in Canada, we're not talking about like three, four, five hundred thousand dollar houses in the GTA. We're talking about in the U.S. if you buy one hundred twenty, one hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollar house. It's really hard to scale these things out. Right. I mean, if you want to buy 20 of these, best of luck. I mean, it's going to take you forever and you're just going to have your back against the wall. So the easy, relatively the easier, more secure, less risky way of getting better returns is through commercial multifamily. You're still in the same space, but now you're dealing with the big boys and you only have professional people handling your money. So what um, what is the typical size of buildings that you guys are investing in? So typical size varies anywhere between seven and 24 million, $25 million. Last year was about $23 million. Okay, so what does that mean as far as the units go? So between the units are anywhere between 100 to 250. 100 units to 250? Yeah, yeah, 100 to 250 units. Oh. So 100 apartments to 250 apartments, give or take. Okay, okay. Um, oh. Yeah, that was actually a bigger scale than what I was thinking. Well, I hope that's a good thing, Rob. Yeah, it's a good <laughs> thing. Uh, whereabouts are you? are you? Are you doing this all over? Is it just close by Dallas, Texas? around you or what areas are you focused on? Look, primarily we're focused on Texas and Florida. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, the reason is that uh, we just wanted, I mean, having lived in Toronto and having lived on both coasts, most of my investors, including myself, we just didn't want to be in a position where the, the landlord laws and tenant laws weren't really friendly. So, you know, in Ontario, if your tenant decides to not move out of your property, you either kind of have to do cash for keys or you, well, you hope and pray that the guy decides to leave your property if they stop paying you money. And so many of people in my network have been burnt before that one of the big things, apart from all the returns and risk management people were looking for, was the fact that we wanted to live, work, and buy assets in markets which are landlord-friendly. And two of the biggest markets which are really landlord-friendly in the U.S. are Texas and Florida. And apart from that, they also have super low taxes. So, you know, it's just one thing on top of another. Um, and how do you, how do you, uh, what's your criteria for buying these buildings? So primarily these are value add properties. Do you guys know what value add is? It's like oh, yeah. they need some work done. They need uh, a lot of TLC essentially. So essentially the location is good. Location-wise, they're good to go. They just need a lot of TLC. And the reason for that is because maybe the owner has had this building for 10, 20 years and they've got a lot of deferred maintenance. Or maybe the, the neighborhood around them has improved by so much 
that this building used to be really good, but now we need to put in, come in, you know, make the exterior look nice, make the parking lot look nice, go into the units and add forward flooring, have better lighting, open up the floor plan, all of these kind of things. With the idea being that the, the quicker, better we can do it, the more we can raise our rents, the more we can get income and the more we can force appreciation in the value of the property. Makes sense. And what what does that look like actually when you get into that? Is it because these are larger pro, larger projects? I assume are you able to do that quickly? Does it take a long time? Is it something you do over a span of a few years? Well, first of all, you'd be very surprised. Larger projects above a certain scale, say eighty or hundred units, are actually more easier to manage than say a 30, 40 unit building. And the reason, and it, it sounds really counterintuitive. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, the reason is that right off the top, because we are buying cash flow, cash flowing properties, right? So these things are cash flowing from day one. Okay. So number one, there's money coming in through the door. Number two, the big advantage for us is that all of the rehab budget, we don't generate out of the property. We've already raised that capital before we even got to the property. And number three, what we're doing is before we even acquire the property, we're with our property managers who have extensive vendor connections. So we're talking property managers that have 10, 20,000 units under property management, right? We are actually going in, we're looking at all the leases. We're, we've actually made a plan to say, okay, which unit, when does the lease finish? Which unit do we want to renovate in which month? And then when we acquire the property, the day we acquire the property, we hit the ground running. It's not like we acquire a property and then make a plan. The plan is already made. This property is just a plug and play now that we have all our systems in place. I like that. Um, where are we here? Sandy, is that? Yeah, so what, what for Canadians who want to get involved in mm -hmm. something like this in the U.S., mm -hmm. what are some of the things they got to look out for? What are the, what are the big uh, hurdles to overcome? Well, I would suggest before Canadians even think about getting involved is that they should stop reading a lot of the information they see on the internet, uh, primarily because not that the information is wrong. The information is primarily catered towards Americans. And there's lots of small little differences between an American investor investing into a project and a Canadian investor investing into a project. So number one, people have to get educated. And what they can't do more often than not is be working with an American syndicator. And syndication is what we do. So this, what we do is called syndication. So you cannot be, more often than not, you cannot be involved with an American. The reason is, American syndicators on average do not know about cross-border taxes. They do not know how the CRA is going to treat your income versus what, how and the IRS will treat an American person's income. And then on top of that, before Canadians even decide, or even Americans actually, before they even decide to invest with somebody, what they should do is first of all try to develop a relationship with somebody. Try to understand what, what kind of part, what kind of background does this person have? What kind of team do they have? What kind of track record do they have? Because a lot of times what it boils down to isn't necessarily whether the real estate is good or not. What it boils down to is, is the other person capable and professional enough to answer your questions? And what was really shocking to me was that how many people decide to invest with some random guy off the internet uh, just by going off a YouTube video? I didn't even think that was a thing until I actually moved to the U.S. and saw so many Canadians doing that. Uh, yeah, so what are, can you tell us a little about uh, Boardwalk Wealth then, your company? Sure. So we're a syndicator. What that basically means is that we raise capital for our projects. 
primarily our investors are Canadians, internationals, and US-based folks, but I have a lot of Canadian investors. And what we do is we're basically a one-stop shop. So especially for international investors, when they come in, we can not only educate them on just this whole space, regardless of whether they want to invest with us or not. We can educate them about the whole space, what to look out for, what kind of problems to avoid. And then on top of that, we can connect them with cross-border CPAs, lawyers, accountants, all of those sorts of people. So when they do decide to invest with us, hopefully, or anybody else for that matter, they're getting the best quality advice. Because look, it's not really that hard to invest, actually, if you think about it. But all that requires is for a Canadian investor to set up everything the right way from the start. And once you set up everything the right way from the start, it's just so easy to invest. It's, it's a joke how easy it is to invest. But that just requires you to work with professionals from day one. So you specialize in working with Canadians specifically for U.S. Yeah. investments. Yeah. Okay. You know what, Sandy? Most property investors are really good at finding the right deal and negotiating a good price. However, even long-time investors would tell you that they have faced significant losses when overlooking some of the pitfalls that pop up unexpectedly. I know I have, uh, when everything seems to be going so well. Vandalism by tenants, flood damage, slip-and-fall lawsuits are only some of the grave issues that investors must protect themselves from, or else they may find themselves digging deep into their pockets to repair damaged property, replace rental income, or even defend themselves in a legal case. For peace of mind and to protect your property, we recommend our listeners to contact their insurance broker to review their policy. Or we know a great guy, an experienced and former guest on our show, on The Insurance Guy. You can reach him at theinsurers.ca and let him know Rob and Sandy sent you. That's theinsurers.ca. Um, so a lot of us get our info from American sources like you, you mm-hmm. mentioned, and I know you think that can be dangerous. Um, you've mentioned some of the risks involved with that. Did you want to go over a couple of the other ones that maybe people should be aware of? Well, number one, I mean, a risk slash myth, number one is, well, it's more of a risk, is that first of all, guys, if you're buying houses or smaller multifamily properties, I'm talking eight, 10, 20, 30, whatever, 25 units, the problem number one is property management. As soon as your property manager finds out that you're either out of state, which means like, look, if you bought in Texas, but you're in California, or they find out that you don't live in the U.S., you know what starts happening? They start nickeling and diming you. That $100 maintenance bill becomes a $150 maintenance bill. Uh, you know, small little phantom repair starts happening because they know you can't just drive to the property and check up on them. So, you know, all of these things start happening. Then what starts happening is you start having a lot of tenants, tenants turnover. You know why, why the tenants turn over? Because every single time a property manager places a tenant, they take two to four weeks worth of rent from you as, as a service fee for them putting a tenant in. And one of the biggest costs that a property owner faces is turnover. How quickly are your tenants turning over? Because ideally you want good, stable, long-term tenants. So that's, from an operational perspective, that's the biggest issue. From uh, just the acquisition of an asset perspective, the biggest issue is access to lending. Now, A, it's very hard for Canadians to get lending, obviously for their projects in the US, the same way it's very hard for an American investor to get Canadian lending. But the bigger deal also is that even if you do find find a lender, they're either gonna offer you really egregious terms, so really low amortization, really low terms, really high interest rates. But what they're also gonna offer you is if you, I don't know, if you 
if you're bored enough to read through the 300 pages of contracts they give you, is that they'll give you teaser rates, which will just really jack up in year two or three, because now they know they've got you in a corner and you have nowhere else to go. So there's so many small little things that you have to look out for that unless you kind of do this for a living, you're not going to get a good deal. And primarily a good reason for that is because you're not American and you're buying American assets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, is there any other myths or, or sorry, risks, I think, that you uh, wanted to mention? Yeah, look, the other risks are basically, uh, you know, kind of not consulting with your CPA, especially your cross-border CPA and deciding to do, you know, certain tax uh, strategies, primarily the 1031 exchange, which we can talk about later. And the biggest risk of all is, you know, trying to do everything yourself and not building our team. Because we feel this is a team sport. Look, even I, I've been doing this for a long time. I have partners. So I have a partner who's a structural engineer. All they really do is they manage the GCs, they manage the projects. They look at all of that kind of stuff. Now, can I do it myself? Yes. But would I want to do it myself? No, because that guy is way ahead of me. Right. I have partners who raise capital. Excuse me. I have partners who do very specific things. So it's a team sport until you don't build out your team. You're always going to be behind the eight ball. How many building or like how many units do you guys have under management? So we don't manage the properties ourselves. We just acquire the properties and we own the properties and we manage the property manager. So we're the asset manager, right? So all the day to day operations are run by the property manager and we just manage them, make sure they're doing the right job. Gotcha. So, so how many units do you guys have under ownership then? Eight hundred and what is it, thirty or forty something like that. Okay, so that's a pretty decent amount of uh, units that you guys have managed to acquire there. That's good. Congratulations on that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It wasn't easy. I can tell you that. No, you're very enthusiastic about this. I can tell you really enjoy what you do, which is fantastic. Oh, no. Right? no, thank you very much. And look, the reason why. I- why I'm talking about this is because I ran into so many Canadians when I moved down to Texas, right? I mean, till you don't do it, you don't really find a lot of people. I just ran into so many Canadians and they got such awful, bad advice that it just shocked me that there are folks out there, for instance, who will just say whatever they have to say to get $50,000 into the door. Mm-hmm. And that just pissed me off for the lack of us. Like, how could you even say that, man? That's I mean, that's unethical to begin with, but that's not much of a partnership you're trying to build with somebody. Yeah, so did you help build this company then? Yeah, me and two partners. Okay, great. Well, that's, man, congratulations again. I, I think it sounds really good. Um, let's see here. Tell us, um, you sort of mentioned this, but why do you why do you feel that property management in houses or smaller properties can... Um, really, I guess, eat into your profits? Well, number one, the number one issue right off the top is the cost of property management for single family houses. Again, we're talking about the U.S. here. The cost of single family uh, property management for single family houses or smaller multifamily, we're talking like 8, 10, 20, 25 units, or 30, or rather under 50 units, is anywhere between 8 to 10% of gross revenue. I mean, 8 to 10% of gross revenue is a huge number. So what we're paying for property management, look, not, once the property is stabilized, we're paying between 3 to 3.5, maybe 3.25% for property management of gross revenue. And when it's in a value add and, you know, they're doing all the rehab and all that kind of stuff, the most it's probably going to go up to is 4, 4.5%, depending on the project, depending on where we are. And that's still manageable. 
But as soon as you start going to eight, ten percent of gross revenue, that's a bit like saying that one month of the year you're just completely paying to your property manager, and that's revenue. That's not income. Mm-hmm. So essentially, if you if you do the math, you kind of realize that maybe. 80 to 100% of the income you will make from the property in a year, like pure cash flow, you're paying that equivalent to a property manager. And that just boggles my mind. That just doesn't even make sense. How are you going to scale your operations, right? How are you going to go buy two, five, 10, 20 houses while managing to keep your jobs? Because look, man, Rob and Sandy, most guys, most guys aren't realtors or most guys aren't real estate people. I mean, lawyers, doctors, accountants, they're already working 80 to 100 hours. They don't want to buy another job. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, they That's just want to find somebody that they can trust and put their money into, and and uh, and and a lot of times, like you said, that's someone that just wants to get their hands on that money, possibly. Yeah, and look, the other issue is my. So we have lots of physician friends because my wife is a physician, and I had to explain to one of her best friends, her husband. I had to explain to him, this guy is a, what is he? He's a radiologist or something. He makes a boatload of money, right? And I had to explain to the guy, and he was he was really proud, and he was saying, you know, I bought two houses, and on the weekends I go, I don't know, spend like five or ten hours on the houses maintaining them. And I had to explain to the guy, I was like, but you make close to $500,000 a year. And you're trying to tell me that you're feeling proud of the fact that you go and do somebody's job who makes $20 an hour or $15 an hour. How does that even make sense to you? You bill out at like $150 or $250 an hour. Wouldn't you not want to, you know, get those 10 hours back, spend time with your wife and kid, and hopefully, you know, your kids will have a better relationship with you, right? I mean, the whole point of this entire thing is, to have a better quality life. I do agree. And, but to a certain extent, I think it's uh, all about what people enjoy too. Like maybe this guy likes- going Dude, he out. complains all the time, man. Dude, oh, he really? complains all the say. freaking time, man. Because like some people really enjoy cutting their lawn. And let me, and, and like, so what, what I did last year, at the beginning of this year, I opened yeah. my garage and my lawnmower's not there. And I'm like, where the hell Ooh. is my lawnmower? Did somebody steal it? That was my first- thought because I leave my garage open all the time by accident so um I I thought that maybe somebody stole it and then I remembered oh yeah I took it to uh, a rental property of mine last year the end of last year I must have left it there so now the tenants have been using it all the time I don't want to go and take it back so I was gonna go buy a new lawnmower but then I decided you know no I I I need to prioritize here and even though I don't mind cutting the lawn it's actually like a break it gives you a break to, you know, maybe turn your mind off for a little bit. Uh, That's not something that I was, I should be doing. So uh, instead of buying a lawnmower, I use that money to go pay somebody else to do it. Yeah. But you didn't complain about the fact that you're lawn mowing all the time. No, no, (laughs) but your point is taken. Look, my point is if, Going and fixing houses as an example, like I do a lot of things, right? For instance, I listen to a lot of music at really, really obnoxiously loud volumes, just, you know, really loud music, heavy metal, rock, because I love doing that. My wife, you know, my mom complained complained about it when I was a kid. And she said, you know, when you get your own house, you can turn the volume up at whatever level you like. And I was like, OK, so now when my mom was here, I turned the volume up and I said, look, now I've got my own house. I can turn the volume up. But you know, I can't complain about doing something and then keep doing this damn thing over and over again. Yeah, yeah, that is true. So did you, did you well, you talked some sense into him at least. Well, I don't know if I talked some sense into it. I think I, he heard some words from me. 
<laughs> yeah, it is very important that people understand that too. And I guess invest to the level, like people always ask me when they come to me, like, what's the best strategy? You know, should I do a yeah. rent to own or should I buy and like build a second suite from scratch? And I said, well, okay, like those are completely different investment strategies and one is one is very time consuming and the other one's pretty much like a you know a plug and play and it really mm-hmm. depends on what you what your idea is for your time and um and and your plan your long term plan so you can't just you know i can't just answer that question with uh with you know it's this or this it's got to be about how you want to focus your time and where you want to put yep. your time and your money into yeah, but I bet you people still follow up and say, but still, what's the best strategy? <laughs> well, then I ask them some questions and hopefully try to guide them as best as I can down the right path. Uh, Omar, you got an interesting myth to dispel for us. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, guys, uh, the, it's, a, it's a myth, which I'm shocked is still a myth. 1031 exchanges don't work for Canadians. They don't work in Canada. And please, please, please don't try it. Because if you try it, I mean, look, you can try it. It's a free country. But the CRA isn't going to listen to you. The CRA is going to take the taxes that are due to them. And we can cry. We can bitch. We can moan. We, we can do whatever we like because nobody likes the CRA. But it's this is what's going to happen. And so every single time you hear about a guru on some real estate seminar, even in Toronto or Calgary or Vancouver, wherever you are, every single time they say 1031 exchanges, now you know that guy's lying. And now you know that guy knows nothing about the Canadian investor. So what is it? Just to explain to everybody what it is. So essentially, I'm not really going to butcher this because I'm really trying to simplify this thing. Essentially, what 1031 basically is, it's basically like an as long as you do an, a like kind exchange, and again, we're going into the weeds here. Essentially, what this means is, let's assume you bought a house, right? Or a property or whatever. And let's assume you, you have $100,000 worth of capital gains on that, right? So now conventionally, if you sold that house, and assuming it's not your primary residence, you're going to pay taxes on $100,000 of capital gains. So what the 1031 exchange for Americans, or rather in America, if you're an American taxpayer or outside even, as long as you're an American taxpayer, what it says is that if you buy, if you, within certain constraints, so there are certain really restricted restrictions on that. So if within those constraints, you go and buy another property, i.e. you roll all the proceeds from your existing property into your new property, you can defer paying the capital gains tax. So what a lot of folks do is they keep deferring paying these taxes throughout their life on their capital gains. And when their heirs or you know get the property, they don't have to pay any taxes because they get it on a stepped up adjusted basis. So that's the big thing for Americans. Mm-hmm. Doesn't apply for Canadians, doesn't apply in Canada. CRA does not care. You know, um, it, it really is one of those things where you know, Americans ha- have sort of this uh, this playground with real estate investing that we don't necessarily have here, I believe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely very tax-favored investment. Oh, definitely. Plus, uh, like, one of my investors, he's an older guy. He's, he's done really well for himself. What he was telling me is that the CRA, I mean, for the lack of a better word, treats him like a criminal now that he's bought like 20 houses in Canada. 
they just assume he's like the bad landlord and every single thing he does, they have to like scrutinize every single thing he does. Whereas in America, they'll actually encourage you. They say, if you bought 20 houses, how can we find a way for you to buy 20 more houses, please? Tell us how we can find a way. We'll do something about it. Interesting. Uh, what's, what's next then on the horizon for you, Omar? Well, what's next on the horizon is that uh, we keep doing some projects. We're focusing on Jacksonville and Tampa and Florida. We feel they're offering better values than a lot of properties in Texas. Texas is getting really overbought and overheated. And if you're local, a lot of what the local syndicators are doing is uh, because we, we and, you know, they acquired properties a couple of years back at, at nicer terms. So now we're essentially selling a lot of our Texas properties and shifting a lot of our money to Florida and Atlanta. Because they're just offering similar demographics, but they're still relatively earlier in the real estate cycle versus Texas. Because everybody loves Texas. So Mm -hmm. um, this may be a silly question. I'm not really sure. But so can you guys, can your company use a 1031 exchange when you do that then? Yeah, we look, we can technically, but we don't because for 1030, for us to use a 1031 exchange, number one, all of our... um, investors will have to roll all of them into the new investor it's an investment right so if we have say 50 or 70 investors per project not all of them want to roll their money into the new investment okay. number one and number two what's already happening is because of the nature of and we didn't talk about this because of the nature of the type of assets we buy and with the new tax laws coming in what we can do is we have so many favorable tax breaks that a lot of times our investors are basically making money but paying the least possible amount of taxes on that money just because we have so many tax write-offs we can do because of the nature of our work and our projects. Hmm, that's interesting. We can, we can write off a lot of things that say a guy buying a house can't. So moving into Florida, that's that's um, it seems to be where you're headed now then. Yeah, my partner is actually going down in a week and a half now to Florida, to Jacksonville and Tampa, and I'll follow up in the next couple of weeks, and we're looking at a few properties. Hopefully, by the end of the year, we can buy one or two properties, about 100, 150 units each. So, do you have a tip or any uh, piece of advice that you can leave with us then? So, a couple of tips. Guys, number one, if you're Canadian or you're an international investor, primarily Canadian, please Try to do as try to ask really educated, pointed questions, and ideally try to work with people who are Canadians. And I'm not saying that because I'm Canadian. The only reason why I'm saying that is because if you're a typical American syndicator, you don't need to know about Canadian taxes. You don't need to know about the problems Canadians face. And what a Canadian investor doesn't want is for them to be hungry to get into a deal, and then while the deal is midway, then you realize, oh shit. Now I've got to do all this other stuff that the CRA wants me to do. Sorry, I don't know if I could say that one. <laughs> you can but, say that. That's okay. okay. So because that's actually happened to a few of our investors. So number one, try to work with Canadian or Canadian-specific people with Canadian backgrounds. Number two, educate yourself. And number three, realize, guys, a lot of the gurus that are out there, a lot of these folks that are giving you real estate advice, nine out of ten of these folks, they can't even find a real job. Okay, and the and the other like one out of ten of these people, they have no business being on stage. Okay, just because a guy wears a suit and has I don't know slick back hair or something like that, as soon as you start asking any of these guys any pointed question above the cliches of real estate investing is good, leverage is good, da 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 da, right? You see that they just stop in their tracks. The reason why they stop in their tracks is they have no background in real estate. 
They have no background in accounting and finance. They have no background in property management. And all they've really done is take a weekend course from one of these Dale Carnegie institutes of, you know, be everybody's happy, happy, and we sing Kumbaya. And now they're on stage. <laughs> well, uh, maybe it's not all of them, but there are some out there, definitely. And you should pay Look, really close I'm, attention to who you I'm, are, who you're going to listen to. I 100% agree with you. And like I said, you know, it's like what my dad said about lawyers. It's the one, it's the 99% of the people giving the 1% of bad news. Mm-hmm. Um, Omar, yeah. you know, we've had a lot of fun here today. Uh, really appreciate you coming on. How could people get in touch with you? This is the most important question we can ask you. Well, thank you for that. I was waiting when you were going to ask me this question. You can go to our website, Boardwalk Wealth. So that's B-O-A-R-D, Walk Wealth, one word, dot com. You can register for our uh, mailing list distribution letter. You can also email me at umar, O-M-A-R, at boardwalkwealth.com. I'm more than happy to answer any questions. A lot of times Canadians, and uh, you know, they reach out to me and say, look, I'm trying to buy this house or I'm trying to do this. Who should I connect with? And I connect them with people. So even if I can't answer your question, I'll connect you with somebody that I know who will be able to answer your question in an honest, open manner. Okay. Thank you very much. Very again, sorry, what's that, Sandy? No, I said that's great. I think it's a, you're, you're going to be a great resource for a lot of our listeners. No, I'm look, man, I've gone through this. And I know how it feels like to be on the other side. So, you just, you know, you just pass on the good vibes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know that there's a ton of people out there that really have no idea where to park their money. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people out there with a lot of money and they just don't know what to do with it. So um, another investment option is always a good thing. Now, uh, Sandy, uh, well... Here's something that I wanted to talk about, actually. I wanted to dedicate this episode of the show to our friend, John Kim, who passed away last week. Um, John was a good friend to me and to the show. He's very passionate about life and real estate, and he was never too busy to share and help in any way that he could. Um, John was our guest. He joined us for episode 42 of the show. Mm -hmm. And mm-hmm. he is uh, one of our favorite guests we've ever had the privilege of learning from. So he will be dearly missed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wanted to dedicate the show to him. Um, so <laughs> on a lighter note then, uh, Sandy, where can people get in touch with you? Yeah, they can uh, reach out uh, through our new phone number now, 289-389-6846. Or info at mckayrealtynetwork.com. If people would like to reach out to me, they can reach me at info at breakthroughreipodcast.ca. Um, that's the best way to get in touch with Sandy and I both. Um, yeah. Well, thanks, everybody. And Omar, thanks, man. This is a really entertaining, very, very um, interesting episode. So thanks for being here with us. No, thank you, guys. It's a great honor. And um, I'd love to be. I always wanted to be on your show, and now I'm on your show. <laughs> that's great. Okay, everybody, have a great day.